Hi, and welcome to In the Fume Hood. I'm your host, Matt Cooper, Associate Teaching Professor of Chemical Engineering at North Carolina State University. And joining me for our Chemi Talk Show is Taryn Bales, Professor of Chemical and Petroleum Engineering at the University of Pittsburgh. I'm excited to have had the opportunity to have such a fun and uplifting conversation with Taryn. In this episode, we theorize what makes our Chemi education community so great, discuss Taryn's successes in student outreach and design projects, and Taryn also shares some incredible stories from her ballet career. Tarn and I chatted a bit on and off mic about our excitement for the Kemi Summer School. Tarn is one of the awesome folks putting together the event and it's sure to be an incredible time. While booking your sessions at the Summer School, be sure to reserve your seat at one of the two, yes two, In the Fume Hood live shows. Recording live episodes at the Summer School is going to be a highlight for me personally, and I'm excited to meet everyone, especially ITFH listeners. With the preceding introduction now complete, here I offer the In the Fume Hood disclaimer as follows. Just to be clear, this podcast is recorded completely outside of my guests and I's normal work responsibilities on our own time, and all opinions expressed in this podcast are likewise our own. They are not intended to reflect those of our employers, funding agencies, professional societies, or frankly anyone. Just us. So, like, recorded in person? Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. that's cool. That would be great. I think it would be nice. I've always thought that the podcast, this format would be better in person mm-hmm. and maybe over drinks. <laughs> I've always thought that would be better. Well, I, thank you so much for being here with me, Taryn. Oh, absolutely. I'm so excited to have you. I've wanted you on the show for a really long time, and I'm glad we were able to work it out together. I've had such a nice time talking with you at conferences and stuff, and you've always been very yeah. kind to me, so I always appreciate well, it. Well, I, I really appreciated being able to work with you when you were chair of the of, of um, ASWE Chemie Division, and I got to be programming chair at the same time. And, yeah, and you were a terrific uh, programming chair, and that was a really, really hard conference to do. Yeah. I remember working with you so much right. over that stuff. And I, I, we had... I, I remember you telling me we had... <laughs> yeah, we had... It was going to be in Montreal, right. and we had... I mean, what was it, like 80-some-odd submissions? Against, it was the right. biggest one, yes. Uh, oh, right. and then it all got scuttled. Right. Oh, that was, right. that was so, terrible. I think you and I, I really appreciated getting to know you during that time because we were Zooming quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, we were. Well, so, it was wonderful working so, with you. So. And, you know, speaking of the ASWE Chemie Division, I think one of the highlights of last year's conference was when you received the division's Donald R. Woods Lectureship Award. Mm -hmm. And we give that for lifetime achievement in chemical engineering pedagogy. And I remember you and Milo got that award that year. And I think, you know, there there couldn't be two people better suited for that. And I've always, you know, thought like, boy, Tarn's going to win that someday. And then you did. (laughs) And you gave one of the absolute best talks whenever you uh, gave your lecture for the lectureship. I was, it was moving. I think everybody thought so. We all wanted to have like a big virtual <laughs> hug afterwards. But, you know, I remember you said during your lecture that your very first time you were at ASWE that you exclaimed to your friend that we met our people, right. you know? And that's exactly, that's exactly how I felt. And I know that when I was in the private sector, I worked at a a nonprofit research institute doing energy research and catalysis and things like that for a few years after I got my PhD. I remember I'd go to some of those catalysis conferences and 
I'd go to lunch and everybody would be talking about, you know, the newest piece of analytical equipment or technique or something. And I would say, come on, everyone, like we're at lunch. Let's quit talking about work. <laughs> Let's talk about anything else, you know, baseball or something. And they were like, oh, ha ha. Yeah, sure. And then they went back to talking about, you know, catalysis stuff. And I always thought, you know, those people uh, workaholics or something, mm-hmm. you know, there's something something wrong with them. But then I realized that that's not what it was. It was that they loved what they did and I just wasn't at their, I wasn't in the same place. Because mm-hmm. now when I go to our conferences, our engineering education conferences, all I want to do when we go to lunch is talk about engineering education <laughs> stuff, right? Right, And right. it's because that's what I was supposed to be doing. And so I thought it was interesting you said we found our people because I felt the same way. But I know you also worked outside of academia mm-hmm. for a while after you got your PhD. I think you said you worked in government labs and you worked um, you worked in industry for a right. while, too, yeah. I believe. I wor- and then you went to academia, right? Right. Well, I worked right after my bachelor's degree. I worked for Exxon for a number of mm-hmm. years in a refinery. And um, after... In those days, there were not very many women, um, and um, Exxon had a big push of, of trying to get more women into management. And so with very little experience, I became a manager, and I had lots of engineers working for me. And I felt like I still had so much more to learn about engineering before I could be an effective manager. So that's what swayed me to go back to graduate school. It was always my plan to go to graduate school, um, but not as quickly as I ended up going. And um, and then after graduate school, I did have a very short stint as an assistant professor. And then, um, and then I worked in industry for like another five years for Westinghouse and became a stay-at-home mom and then finally went, entered back into academia. So I've kind of had this very different path, but um, definitely a path that has been very well suited for what I wanted to do. So what made you want to leave that sort of job for a career in academia? Because, you know, they're very different. And a lot of times people think, oh, I want to go into academia. I'm like, are you sure? Because it's really (laughs) not for everybody. What made you want to go? Well, I, even as an undergrad, I was, um, I was very involved in Tau Beta Pi, and I started tutoring as part of my service through Tau Beta Pi, and I realized how much I enjoyed um, helping people try to figure things out, and, and, and I really enjoyed that teamwork and, um, and how satisfying it was when whoever I was working with you know, caught on and figured out how to do it. So I always thought in the back of my mind that that's, I want to do that. And, um, and, and plus, when I was working for Exxon, I also, I knew I also wanted to get married and to have a family. And I wasn't sure how I could balance um, being a mom and um, working and having to go on so many different um you know, business trips that the company pretty much tells you you have to go. So I knew that I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. So after I was a stay-at-home mom for a number of years is when I went into academia. And for, I'd say, 
I have to, I have to get the years right. Probably for a good 10 years, I was part-time and, um, you know, put my kids on the bus and, um, and go off and teach at UMBC and then was home by the time they got home and back off the bus. So it was a pretty nice gig. Yeah, that's a pretty <laughs> sweet deal. It is. It really is. So... I, I find that interesting because I, I tutored as well whenever I was in grad school in particular. And then whenever I was working in my job, you know, doing catalysis research, I remember like that pride over the students learning material and seeing them get it. I really miss that. And I it was crazy because I've been working my whole life toward this career. I had exactly what I had been working for. And I was like, ah, this thing that I did in grad school kind of for extra pay on the side. Right. That's what I really love. Exactly. So that, that's interesting. Tutoring was the thing for you, too. Right. And so, you know, we talk about our people. I find that uh, especially folks like us that kind of leave the sort of more traditional engineering roles behind. They try it and they leave those behind and then they go into academia. I always think that we're all a little <laughs> weird in the same way, I think. <laughs> like that our people thing. Yes. What, what yes. do you think that is? What makes our people our people? Well, uh, well, I think what drives almost all of us are our students and wanting them to be successful. And um, I don't think that you get that kind of um, that fulfillment working in industry, right? I mean, you you might get to mentor the the engineers that are working for you, but they're not going to. I mean, it's short. It's just not quite the same thing. And I don't think, you know, there's something about academia about. Um, it's the students that are just embarking on this career in chemical engineering. And I think that's what just makes it so satisfying of, of um, being able to be there and, and be there as part of their, their first few steps into chemical engineering. And, but as far as like our, our people at ASAA, I'm just so inspired by all of the talks that I go to and the things that people are working on. And people at ASAA in our education community and AICG Ed Division as well. Of course. Those are the people that are excited about teaching, excited to try new things, and very willing to share what they've learned from their students and what has been successful in their classrooms. It's, it's just a, a community that really, like they're, we're not in competition with one another, we're there to learn and to be inspired by one another. So I, I guess mm -hmm. to me, that's what makes it our kind of people. I, you are you are hitting everything that I think, too. Uh, one of the things that's interesting that you said there was about how we're not in competition with each other. I was it was such a breath of fresh air. I remember the first time I went to uh, ASWE and AICHE Education Division, those conferences. I was shocked at how after you gave your talk. People wouldn't try to like discredit you or shoot you down the way it had always happened right. in every other technical talk I had ever given. Right. I had to be ready to be roasted, basically, exactly, and be able to roll with the punches. The questions I got were like, 
did you try this? Right. Because this would be really fascinating if right. you also added this, you know, because there's this other paper that this person wrote. Uh, you should check that right. out because you could really expand the study and make it great. Right, right. I mean, it, it's just such a different philosophy. And, um, and, 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 and they, our colleagues want us to be better and they share their ideas. And, um, you know, and at the end of the talk, they'll like, oh, well, could you share those materials with me? I mean, they never ask you that in a technical talk of like, right. <laughs> they're like, here, let me tell you about all the flaws in your data. <laughs> exactly. So. Why didn't you consider this model from this person? That seems to be a much more appropriate model to use right. than this model that you chose. It's like, oh, come on, splitting hairs here, right? Exactly. But no, exactly. they want to say that in front of everybody. And I, so I, I think you're right. And I, I have to say, um, when I was working at UMBC, I had a colleague that we had written a number of NSF grants together. And she was in mechanical engineering, and I was in chemical engineering. And my department chair came by and said, the two of you always look like you're having so much fun. And my response was, well, when we play in the sandbox, we share our toys. And so, <laughs> I, and I think that it's a good analogy, right? In our uh -huh. field, we share what we're doing, and we're we want to learn from one another rather than being in competition with one another. So right, I I remember too. There was one time we were at I think it was an EdDiv business meeting, and somebody commented like, "Man, everybody walks in here with smiles on their right. faces." It's like, yeah, because yeah, we're all really happy to be here. Right. We want to see all of our colleagues, and we want to you know make our division great. Right. So. And I every every conference I go to, I'm always inspired by you know the work that everyone else is doing. And it's like, oh, mm -hmm. I want to give that a try with my students or tweak that a little bit and, and see, you know, so I'm always there. I always leave having learned so much from everyone. I agree. Yeah, I agree. So, you know, you mentioned students too, and uh, how, you know, like our love of teaching students, you know, that's what really, you know, makes us who we are. Our people are people. <laughs> but you have done probably the most outreach I've ever seen anyone do. I I remember during your talk uh, for the lectureship award, I tried to write them all down and I don't think I could, but <laughs> you you talked about K through five after school science teaching. You had computer mania day, which was for middle if I remember correctly, high school. No, middle, middle school. Middle school. Uh-huh. Middle school ladies, if I remember correctly. Yes. yes. And that was NSF funded, and there was the Meyerhoff Scholars Program, and you had, it just went on and on, <laughs> like there were all these different things. And I remember you integrated outreach to K-12 students in your design course, mm -hmm. I believe, where you had your students go, and part of the whole curriculum for that course was them doing outreach to K-12 students, and they got to be really good role models for yes. these students. Exactly. And I, I thought that was great. And so I started thinking about it, you know, as I was kind of looking at all the stuff you did. I imagine based on what you talked about, you have to have impacted the lives of like 25,000 students, right? 25,000 human beings, people, <laughs> right? 
that's incredible. Like that, I respect that so much. That's incredible. So, I I'm curious, what gave you the the drive to do that? What what made you so interested in doing all this outreach? <laughs> Well, so my very first outreach program was actually as I was assistant professor at the University of Nevada, Reno. So a long time ago, I want to say it was like 35 years ago. And we didn't have a lot of um, our enrollments were really low and we were looking for more students to become interested in engineering and specifically chemical engineering. And through that program, that outreach program was really to try to drive up our enrollments. And I w when I was in high school, I had no idea what chemical engineering was. And so I think my initial start into doing outreach was motivated by I wanted more people to hear about chemical engineering, to hear about how awesome it is and all of the opportunities that it that is available to them um, by pursuing this path. So I think that was my initial motivation. And then when I always tell the story, when my daughter was in second grade, she came home with a piece of paper and they were talking about removing science from the curriculum. And, mm. you know, as a mother, it was like, I cannot allow this to happen. And so I, I started an after-school program called Hands-On Science, and I taught that until she finished um, fifth grade, so from second to fifth grade, and then when my son was in first uh, kindergarten to fifth grade. So, you know, I taught in that program for eight years, and um, just because I wanted those kids to learn about science. And um, I think that also started a lot of the other programs that I've done, like Computer Mania Day, um, writing the Inspires curriculum, which was for high school students to learn about engineering. So I've just been really fortunate to, to run a lot of those programs. And I, you know, I've been invited to a lot of schools to give overviews of chemical engineering, and you very quickly realize that I'm old, I'm outdated, but if I have my undergraduate students do that, they are awesome role models. The, the, the students in K-12 can relate much better to them. And it's a great, and you're an ABET PV PV evaluators, so you know they need to demonstrate that they can communicate to a wide range of audiences. And so mm -hmm. I feel that it's really important for them to work with the teachers, figure out what they are going to teach, and then how they can effectively communicate that. And our undergraduate students, they don't realize how many technical terms and jargon that they use. And mm -hmm. um, so it really helps them hone in on their communication skills. So um, so there's lots of motivation of why I love doing outreach, other than probably most of all is that it's just so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> so I know uh, that you must have done a good job with those K through five uh, teachings in particular, because you said that your kids went through them. And as I, as I understand, 
I believe your daughter is currently, she just accepted a faculty position at Delaware with our colleague Josh Enzer. Is that right? Absolutely. Yes. She started in <clears throat> January um, of, of this year and she's a How wonderful. brand new assistant professor. So how wonderful. And then your son's an engineer, too, yes, right? He's a computer engineer and he works for Manhattan Associates in Atlanta. So, you know, there's no diversity in the gene pool at home. My husband is also <laughs> a chemical engineer. And um, I think that they really didn't have a lot of choice. I think they tried not to become <laughs> engineers, but I think it's kind of in their gene pool that they and. and they're both, both of them are so accomplished. So it's one of those proud mama moments. Well, that's great. The, uh, you know, you mentioned, I want to go back to what you talked about with the Inspires uh, program. And so <laughs> I thought that was really interesting because it was like a design project. If I remember correctly, it's been a while yeah. since you gave that talk. <laughs> but if, if I remember correctly, it was like you had a young lady who had like open heart surgery. Mm -hmm. And so you were challenging the students to design a device that could uh, control like the temperature of her blood and all these different things um, for, for her use medically. Right. Right. And, and you had like the, a, like a picture of a person who w represented this, this person and you kind of like humanized it a bit. Yes. And was that, is that part of your strategy there? Yes. So the whole, um, the whole idea behind all of the design projects is I wanted, I want these high school students to help to understand that, that in engineering, you work on real world problems. And so we started off the curriculum with an introductory video of an actual patient that had gone through heart-lung surgery. And so the students were challenged to build a or mimic a system that would act as a heart-lung um, machine. So they had to flow the blood, they had to cool down the blood, and they had to also oxygenate the blood. So the design challenge has a real-world um, context, but then we scaffold all of the different components, and then as part of the curriculum, they actually designed and built the system, and then tested it. That's super cool. And you had another one with like a dialysis mm -hmm. machine, and it was the same sort of thing. There was like a a, a person, right? Yeah, right. And we also had one on hot air balloons and. In that one, it was uh, the introductory video was about um, a cream project that was at the University of Maryland where they launched weather balloons. So that was the introductory video. We also have one on energy systems. And we talked to um, a, a lot of young engineers that were working in the energy sector that were working in solar, wind, hydro energy. So really the idea was to give them a real world problem and then have them design and build something that you know could be done with very simple materials yeah and you you talked in that too about that that talk that you gave about how you know those design projects you have to 
go and look at all the stuff that you've learned in order to be able to solve mm -hmm. them, right? And so it's not compartmentalized the way that we view a lot of our courses where, oh, here's where you learn thermodynamics. Right. Here's where you learn fluid mechanics. It's all of these things together where it's like, oh, you got to do the material and energy balances and you got to worry about the fluid flow and you got to worry about the mass the transfer, transfer right. and all this other stuff. So I, I think that's so cool. And I saw another one that you did. You have so many of these cool design <laughs> projects. You have another one where it was like you had must have been like you raided the cereal aisle. And oh. so you had all these different <laughs> cereals. It was like you had Lucky Charms, you know, all the different Lucky Charms. And then you had, you know, like uh, Raisin Bran and all, all these different things. Count Chocula. And then you had Rice Krispies. Right. And if I remember, the Rice Krispies were the thing that the students wanted, and you mixed all the cereals up into a big bowl, right. and you gave them a bunch of, you know, like popsicle sticks and all this other stuff, and you said, you know, like, design a way to uh, separate out only the Rice Krispies from everything else. Correct. Right? Correct. That is super cool. That's exactly <laughs> what I would have wanted to be challenged with whenever I was, uh, whenever I was like, you know, in school. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, do you have a favorite one of those projects that you did, or maybe even a favorite submission for one of your prompts that you did? Huh. I, you know, I, I, I guess I really like all of them for different reasons, um, that I really don't have a favorite. Um, and with each of these projects, so the, what you just described is, is In Search of Snap, Crackle, and Pop, um, was, <laughs> um, the, was like a, a precursor activity to actually designing the hemodialysis um, system. Because the hemodialysis system, they're given um, artificial blood and they have to remove the impurities. And so some of the molecules, the impurities, um, will move through the membrane and the, the, um, the healthy blood molecules, you want that to stay into the system. And so that activity is to help them scaffold that understanding. And um, so I have those kinds of activities with every one of my design projects. And it's fun to see how students take those activities and then transfer that knowledge to the ultimate design project that they're going to build. And, uh, and make. So um, I, I, I guess I, I, for, for me, the favorite part of it is thinking of how can we scaffold these ideas so that ultimately their final design will have the right components. Mm-hmm. Very so, cool. Yeah. Oh. And I think that's neat how you use that as a precursor activity for the, the dialysis. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. So, you know, whenever I... I think about all your projects, you had a common theme that I kind of caught on, and it was that you wanted the students to kind of compete with each other's mm -hmm. teams for almost bragging yes. rights. Right, yeah. right. And so I like that a lot. And I think there's nothing wrong with friendly competition. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering why you incorporated that. I'm curious <laughs> about your strategy there. Um. So I think I started that very early on. Um, one of the first projects that I um, did when I was at UMBC was have the students build catapults and trebuchets. 
and they were launching water balloons for distance as well as a target. And at the end of after all of the teams had had done this competition, they were allowed to launch water balloons at me. So I was their <laughs> human target. And I realized that that kind of upped the ante of the competition. And they were the teams that hit me and totally drenched me with their water balloons. And by the way, a water balloon at about 180 feet hitting you in the <laughs> shoulder will give you a bruise. <laughs> and I remember like the next morning I had this bruise that was starting on my shoulder and my husband looked at me and he goes, of course they were going to hit you. Like, what were you thinking? <laughs> so, um, so I, I, I realized that they were very excited about that. And so I thought, so ever since then, I've always had some kind of friendly competition. The bragging rights have nothing to do with their grade. It's just mm -hmm. typically for some kind of swag. I'm always, you know, handing out um, swag from the department. And, and like even when they get the whatever team that recovered the most amount of Rice Krispies, they'd also get swag for that. So it's just friendly competition. And, um, and they're actually graded on understanding why they were successful, why they weren't, and what is the math and science and engineering design process behind that. So, but yeah, just to have fun. I think that's... I think that's really interesting, and I'd be curious to see how, from a motivation perspective, you know, like if you studied the motivation of the students, I'd be curious to see how it changed from before you gave them that motivation to afterwards. That could be a pretty neat study in and all of itself to be able to see that. Yeah, I, I don't have data on that, but I definitely, I have anecdotal data that- <laughs> But you, ha you have a bruise to show. <laughs> I had multiple bruises that year, because <laughs> um, that was just Monday's class, and I had teams that competed Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, so oh, all no. five days, yeah. That class had about 180 students. Um, did, did you wear a poncho at least? No. I, because <laughs> I, I did make the local news. I made the Baltimore Sun. That's cool. Um, they just called me the wacky professor at UMBC. And I was okay with it. Um, uh -huh. Because, you know, anything that motivates students to learn, um, I'll do it. I will absolutely do it. I don't know if you remember, uh but in my presentation, I had multiple pictures of um, students throwing pies at me. So mm -hmm. I used to wager with other faculty members on how students would do. And um, if students did, you know, well in my class, then I could throw a pie in another faculty member's um, face or vice versa. <laughs> so anything that I can do to motivate students, um, you know, if you aced one of my thermo exams, you could, you know, throw a pie at me on engineer's day. <laughs> so I don't care. Just whatever it takes to motivate them to learn. So that's really great. So. That is yeah. so terrific. What a great story. And I remember all those excellent <laughs> pictures from your presentation, too. I, I, that's one of the things I always forget to take pictures. Mm -hmm. It's like, boy, I really should have had some pictures. Yeah. But uh, so I think the next thing I wanted to do with you, Taryn, is I wanted to look at 
the chapter of uh, Felder, Rousseau, and oh. Bullard that we're, uh, we're going to be working on. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm sure that you've taught uh, material and energy balances in the past. My favorite class. <laughs> I do. One of my favorites, yeah. too. Yeah. I'm really lucky um, here at Pitt. I teach the bookends. I teach, you know, the material and energy balance class and then the capstone design. So it's, you know, it's it's a great position to be in because you get to see them at the beginning and see them at the end. Those are two of my favorite classes, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Material and energy balances and then capstone right. design. Those are two of my favorites to teach. So you're, you are very fortunate <laughs> to be able to do that. I think we're on uh, section 6.4D. Okay. If I remember correctly. Should I grab my book? Let me grab my yes. book. Yes. Grab your, your trusty. Felder and Rousseau and Buller. My autograph copies are at home. So because oh, they, yes. they cannot walk away from my office. Because I would I be have, devastated. <laughs> I have um, autographed copies myself. I actually, I took mine to summer school in 2017 when, this, when it was at NC State. So that I could mm -hmm. get Rich and Lisa to sign. So uh, Yes, that's so, great. Yes, I was. So I, I do cherish my autographed copies. <laughs> and I have one <laughs> from Ron, too. So... I, yeah, he, you know, he's the tough one to get. Right. Um, actually, before I left UMBC, my students actually wrote to him and requested him to send me one. So, oh, how sweet of them. Yeah, that is very was, nice. Yeah, so they, they knew exactly how to pull at my heartstrings. So. Yeah, that is very kind of them. How cool. Yeah, because they know how much I love the book. Because I always tell them, everything you need to know, mm -hmm. the foundation to it is in this book. So, Yeah, I totally agree. And it's, it's super fascinating because it's really the entire <laughs> curriculum. Like, there are bits of the entire <laughs> curriculum in this book. Absolutely. And I, I like, too, that it's actually written in an accessible way. Mm -hmm. Because so many textbooks are just impossible to be able to get through. Right. You know, they skip lots of steps in their examples. And it's like, I'm trying to learn. You're really going to skip it's, steps it's, in this complicated problem. There's very little of that right. in this textbook. Right. And something you probably don't know, but when I was a brand new assistant professor, I didn't have the opportunity to have this book as an undergraduate because it hadn't been written yet. So mm. this was before the day and age of sending emails. And I typed out as an assistant professor, I would walk to my uh, to um, Dr. Fern Fernando Aguirre's office, who was next door and say, oh, I love this book. This book has the mm. best example problems. It has the best problems. It was like, OK, OK. And I was like, no, seriously, <laughs> like, I love this book. And Fernando was like, just send him a letter. And I did. So I wrote Rich a letter, you know, pulled out the old typewriter, sent him a letter, put it, you know, put it in a, an envelope and a stamp on it and mailed it. And Rich actually sent me a letter back. And yeah, that does not surprise I, me. Yeah. But for, as a, you know, brand new assistant professor, I was thrilled beyond thrill. 
and and oh, yeah. and in those days, uh, and so he told me that if I found any typos in his book, that he would give me a nickel for every typo. So yes, I think Lisa uh, gives a dollar now. So yes, boy, inflation. <laughs> so these I know, days, right? <laughs> I know. So, um, but I mean, as a brand new assistant professor, that was. I still have that letter, and um, oh, cool. I will be passing that on to my daughter when um, she has the privilege of teaching this class. So, <laughs> so cool. So, that is very cool. Okay. Some family family heirloom. Right. It absolutely is. <laughs> so I I sorry I digress here. <laughs> no, no, that's all an awesome story. <laughs> so, yeah. So section um, six point four D. Graphical yeah, representation so, of BLE. Yeah, so this is basically TXY diagrams and a little bit of PXY diagram. Mm -hmm. They don't really get into it too much, mm -hmm. but the TXY diagrams there. So I don't think anyone skips this when they teach material and energy balances, right? Right, right. I don't. And no. and, and I have to say, you know, the, the curriculum here at Pitt, we have what are called the pillars. And I... We, I have the privilege of having my students in class four days a week for two hours. And I absolutely love it because, you know, it's a good chunk of time. It is a six credit class, but it's a good chunk of time to do lots of active learning, to do lots of examples and like doing group quizzes, all those kinds of things. And so in our material and energy balance class, we also include separations. So I definitely go over this section. And then when we're ready to um, write or draw our VLE diagrams to do McCabe-Thiele, like how could I, if, you know, I have to have this information, yeah. um, you know, to have gone over this information and, you know, say, look, remember when you did your TXY diagrams, you're going to take your X's and Y's and make your VLE curve. So. Anyhow, yes, I teach. This. I think it's I think it's an amazing uh, way to visualize what you've been talking about with like Rawls law yes. and the Antoine the equation. equation. Yes. Yeah, and one of the things I really like to do is you know I kind of teach them this in our uh, material and energy balances course. We call it Chemi two hundred five mm -hmm. at NC State, but I teach them you know kind of like oh here's uh, this TXY diagram. How do you think they came up with a point on either one of those mm -hmm. lines, right? The right. dew point curve and the bubble point curve. And, you know, th that's a good active learning activity. Absolutely. Like what would the, what equations would you use, use to there, get those, right? right, right. And so what's fun is in the next course in our curriculum, it's like numerical methods, but really we're teaching them how to use Excel and MATLAB mm -hmm. and, you know, visual basic, like programming, basically. I, when I'm teaching them spreadsheets, I always have them generate TXY uh, diagrams mm -hmm. for two components because you get to do so much like coding mm -hmm. the Ralts law in a spreadsheet itself is a bit of a challenge, right? Right, right. And then you always want to be referencing the same pressure. So they have to use the dollar signs, right? right? And right. the static references. And then they, you have like 10 points across the line you know, across the x-axis, so they get to do the drag and drop sort of thing to duplicate all of their equations. Right. And then, in order to find the solutions for temperature, 
you can use Solver. Mm -hmm. So you can show them how to use Solver to s solve like 10, a system of 10 nonlinear right. equations simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And they're always like, whoa, right. it's, it's a great thing to be able to do. So I, I love doing that for mm -hmm. that class. And it's really fun in the material and energy balances course to be able to kind of say like, think about all the equations we've been using. Mm -hmm. You could make one of these if you wanted to. Right, right. <clears throat> no, I, I mean, I, I, yeah, I always teach this. And exactly very much in the same way that you described. And, and then we just go one step further to then set up our, our VLE <clears throat> curve. And then, you know, by the end of the semester, we're counting off stages and we know exactly how many stages we need for that separation. So, and easily draw in our operating lines. And um, so, yes, this is, you know, there, I have mentored a few um, new faculty members in our department and, and I always tell them, these are the things you absolutely positively have to cover because you know, they need these skills for the next classes. And um, and then when I get them in design, I want them to be able to design that distillation column. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah I 100% I agree. And I really like to, you know, if you show someone a TXY diagram for like a quiz, mm -hmm. you've got your A, B, and C of a problem oh, right there. Yeah. Oh, almost through it's like, F. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like, what's the uh, what's the boiling point. point of component A, a right. pure component A? What's the boiling point of pure component B? Yeah. You okay. know, uh, well, right? Are the what are the uh, compositions mm -hmm. of you know the bubble point? Whatever. Right. right. What's the composition of the vapor phase that's in equilibrium with the liquid phase? And like, I really because you can make such great analogies to doing a batch distillation of what they mm -hmm. do in the in their orga, organic chemistry class and say, OK, but we're chemical engineers. We're not going to have one that that gives us a 60, 40 split or whatever it is. You know, how how can you envision that we can, you know, make use of this to you know, do a separation that is pretty pure in the distillate product. So, yeah. yeah. And so the TXY diagram, like you said, is like a single stage of a distillation process. Right. right. But then. And so then oh, go ahead. Oh, no, go on. Sorry. I was just going to say, and then you can kind of like, it, I remember whenever I did my PhD dissertation, which was on electrochemistry. Okay. okay. I did electrocatalysis <laughs> in grad school, but they can ask you anything. Right. And one of the folks on my committee asked me to just kind of conceptually explain how McCabe Teeley works. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? Like, how is that relevant? They're like, you're a PhD chemical right. engineer. You should be able to explain it. And I was able to, like, reference the TXY diagram right. in that discussion. Well, <laughs> and just help them think through it, right, of exactly mm -hmm. what's going on. So, um, yeah, it's. I guess that's why, why I like chemical engineering so much, that there's so many great applications of what they've learned in chemistry and how we can scale that up and make it applicable for something in, in industry and make that process, you know, economically feasible. And um, there's just so many good real world examples. And, um, but yes. 
love this book. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you. And uh, I guess neither of us have ever skipped it. So anyone listening who teaches Kemi, you shouldn't be skipping it either. Yeah, it's, it's a good section of the book. But they're all good sections, so. They are all good sections. I'm a There's little no biased. In yeah, I'm a little bit biased. What can I say? Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. So the next thing that I want to do that we do with all of our guests on In the Fume Hood is we, I want to talk with you about music, Taryn, because it's exactly the sort of thing that I never talk about with, uh, you know, our colleagues at conferences. We're always talking about our engineering education stuff. Never talk about music. Right. What kind of music do you like? So I think I'm, you know, I'm going to be a disappointment on in the fume hood on this question. Um, I I like all different kinds of music, right? Um, That's great. Um, you know, I when when I was younger and dance ballet, you know, always was listening to classical music. Um, I love listening to the radio, you know, um, and so I listen to lots of different kinds of stations. Um, the first concert I went to, um, I was in New Mexico. I went to a Merle Haggard concert. So okay, lots of, Merle. yeah, got, got my, you know, cowboy boots and my belt with my uh-huh. name on it because, you know, you have to have <laughs> a course. custom belt made. Because they don't uh-huh. sell tarin, so um, <laughs> at the regular <laughs> store with my big old belt. <laughs> you know, um, I'm not sure if you uh, a, a regular listener would remember way back in the day uh, when I posted the show with Jason Barra over oh, in Alabama. Oh yes, I did. He. I- uh, yeah, he had a uh, thing that he wanted to have a belt buckle that had a periodic a table on it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I did not have one of those. Mine was just silver with like a, um, a, a some turquoise, a small turquoise stone on it. But I was very proud to have a belt with my name on it across the back. So um, very cool. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, you know, I think when I in, you know, graduate school, I went, you know, um, I went to a number of concerts, you know, like Genesis and Chicago and um, Neil Diamond. So I'm definitely aging myself. But um, so I like all different kinds of music. And my kids, you know, um, almost every Christmas, they'll make me um, uh yeah, I still have a CD player in my car, and so they'll make me CDs um, with, you know, some of the latest um, uh, songs that they listen to. So, oh, that's fun. So I don't really have a one specific kind of music that I like to hear. So um, I think it is a very uh, nice expression of love to make someone a mixtape or a mix CD. Yes. So that is very yes. cool. Yeah, so I'm very lucky there. So have awesome kids. What can I say? (laughs) So So whenever you talk about your music tastes, it was interesting. I didn't realize you were a ballet dancer either. When was that? Oh my goodness. Uh, Yes. I almost didn't finish um, high school. I actually dropped out of school to dance. Really? Yes. Yes. So, um, yeah. So very serious ballerina back in the day. I am certified to teach Shaketi. Um, I've taken student Shaketi exams and was very serious about it. And um, 
And um, shortly before my father died, I had actually gotten, well, I shouldn't tell this story, but it's true. I was dancing on stage and it was after rehearsals and they had turned off the little lights that show you where the end of the stage was. Anyhow, I did a grand jeté off of the stage into the orchestra pit. Oh my, were you okay? I was okay, but I was laid up for a little bit. And so obviously I I had some time off of dancing at that point. And my father had been very disappointed that I had quit school. I mean, so I I quit um, seventh grade. to dance with a ballet company. And so he was quite disappointed that I had done that because education had been so important in his life. And um, so that summer that I was hurt, you know, he told me how important his education was to him and his life and that he really wanted me to finish my education and then I could dance. And um, that really stuck with me. My dad um, actually had passed away a few months later. And so always in the back of my mind, I knew that I needed to finish my education to honor my dad. And um, so I did. And um, while I was in graduate school, I did dance with the Pittsburgh Dance Alloy. And um, so I... I did a little bit of both, but obviously now I'm not dancing. <laughs> but, what an incredible story, Tara. That's wild. I had no idea. I had never heard that part of your life I before. don't look like a dancer, <laughs> but I used to. <laughs> wow. A long time wow, ago. Wow, that is crazy. So You know, and I, I really like that story a lot, Taryn, because I think that so many people... I don't know. They think if they're not on this, you know, straight and narrow path all the time that they're not going to be able to succeed and all this stuff. And I love that, you know, you you took some chances and things like that. I think that's so cool. I've done lots of different things. Um, And, you know, I always joke around and say, yeah, I couldn't I I keep switching jobs. I quit. I switch careers, I switch interests, um, you know, I just can't hold down a job. But I definitely um, love, you know, being able to teach. So, but yeah. <laughs> well, you you certainly done an incredible job over it, over your career. And like I said, I, you have to have done outreach to tens of thousands of people. Like there have to be so many people that you, they, they can owe just a little bit of their success. <laughs> To you. Well, that's so cool. Um, I don't know about that, but that they, they don't owe their success to me. But I hope that I've introduced those um, those students and and those teachers because I've done a lot of teacher professional development, and and so my big hope is that they inspire like the next generations to give engineering a try because engineering has opened up so many opportunities for me over the years. And that's what I want for them. Oh, how nice, Taryn. (laughs) Well, I tell you, this has been just a real delight to be able to talk with you. I think my face hurts from smiling (laughs) so much because you, you were so much fun to talk to. And I'm super excited that we're going to get to see each other, not only at ASWE soon, but also at the summer school. Yes. No, I'm looking forward to it.
Did you like this edition of In the Fume Hood? Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasting fix. Follow us on Twitter at In the Fume Hood, and feel free to share feedback, suggestions, or let us know if we got something wrong.